0: To Ecclesiastes chapter 4 Ecclesiastes 4 we will be in verse 4 through the end of the of the chapter verse 16 um, every week that we come to Ecclesiastes um, I'm surprised just how relevant it is uh, to what we need to hear every single week. And this happened again this week. So I I do believe this morning, if we will listen with God's help, then we will taste again how good He is, and we will find life uh, and flourishing from His Word. So uh, today, uh, in our passage, um, in the series called Get Real, the Lord will be... Encouraging us to get real about relationships, uh, to get real about how, not just how others relate to us. That will be the easy thing for us to see. But with God's help, we will consider getting real, this reality check about how we relate to other people compared to how he wants us to. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us to hear him. Oh God, we, it, is, it is not natural to us to sit and listen. At least not to the truth. And especially not when the truth has something to say to change us. And yet, Lord, as we, as we hear that the good news of Christ is the word that endures forever, that causes us to be born again, that is alive and it is, it is abiding, and it has shown us just how good you are, and it is the power to call us away from malice and slander and envy and to a purified heart that loves others so we... We believe that to be true, and so we're asking you to demonstrate your great power from heaven right now and cause us to hear your word. Lord, may it not be that we're just here by ourselves. God, when we listen to your word, may we hear your voice and live. God, do it. That Christ might be seen as our good And He might receive the honor He is due as our King. We pray this in His name. Amen. Please stand uh, with me as we listen to God's Word read. God is good and His Word is good. Because this is true. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. The preacher says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handsful of toil and a striving after wind. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. You may be seated. The worst neighbors live under the sun. That's my effort at summarizing what this passage is, is teaching us this morning. God is putting this truth in front of us. The worst neighbors live under the sun. And to say that they live under the sun means that we should not just be thinking of who lives next door to you or to me and, and the ways in which they have allowed their yard to become a jungle or, or they never are friendly to you when you wave hi to them. The worst neighbors live under the sun it means that you and I are counted among the worst neighbors because your flesh and mine all reflexively live consistently with what Solomon is meaning by the phrase live under the sun. All of us reflexively live without regard for God and His will. And what He specifically wants us to do with our neighbors, every, every other person around us. Under the sun, in this life without regard for God, that in this world that we all live naturally in, neighborliness is lost. What we owe to other people, we do not pay. Because faith is gone. Naturally, we don't think of God like everyone else who thinks that all that we see is all that there is. And so as we listen to God's word, if we are going to be the people who turn away from sinning against other people, it will start with trusting God, who in this passage is wanting to highlight two ways in which our relationships with others have been ruined. First of all, we live against our neighbor. That's verses 4 through 6. And the other way that our relationships are ruined and we ruin relationships as we live without our neighbor. That's verses 7 through 16. So, point number 1, verses 4 through 6. We live against the people we should live with. Look at verse 4. How the preacher says here that envy is the engine of, of all of our achievement. The preacher says, all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And, and, and I hope that's just really easy to understand for you. You can, you can see this quickly. I mean, competitive sports, right? They drill this into our kids really early on. So it's summertime, but you better not, if you're an athlete, you better not be slouching during the summer. Why? Why? The coach says, because your rival is not laying around. And when I wrote that sentence down, uh, it hit me. Uh, I had said basically those very words to my sons this week and trying to prod them to get outside and start kicking the soccer ball around. Consider this. I mean, don't, don't you want to be the best at something? Now it's true as we get older our dreams get lower but we all have this in us that we want to be the best we want to be distinguished we want to be to separate ourselves and we envy anyone who gets what we want. Sometimes our envy of other people is indiscriminate. We, you know, we just simply want to be the best and we resent anyone else being recognized, anyone else getting the promotion, anyone else being praised for their maturity. Or notice what happens to your heart whenever you're in a conversation and the person you're talking to says something about someone else's wisdom, someone else's skill. Sometimes our envy is indiscriminate, but then sometimes it's really concentrated, really focused. So one example would be how the Dallas Cowboys, I think, especially have a rivalry with the Washington Red, whatever they're called. But you see, they, they focus on them. And you might be someone who concentrates on one individual and you want to catch up with them, and you are toiling to surpass them as a parent or as a spouse or as a child or in business. They become the representation of all that you really want. If you will take an honest look at your heart, you will see how much easier it is For you, when others are sad, than when they succeed. Doing good, verse 4, doing good with the goal of besting someone else. That is a really good start to showing us what is wrong with our relationships under the sun. I want you to remember that the book of Ecclesiastes, when you think of it, you should think of it as a commentary of the world we live in in comparison to the world as God created it. So Genesis 2 verse 18 says, it is not good for man to be alone. But once Adam and Eve stopped listening to God, stopped believing God, their communion and the communion of the whole Human race, it was ruined. So God saw back then and God is showing right now, there goes the neighborhood. What I created and their relationships, it's gone now. Because they're not believing me. And so Adam immediately is against his wife. When asked, he blames her for their troubles. And they have these children who immediately are against Cain, envies Abel. And then he murders his brother. Verses 5 through 6 the preacher tells us that contentment and not laziness. Contentment is the real solution. Verse 5, look how uh, we, we have this man who is, is maybe frustrated with the way people are competing against each other in verse 4. And so he kind of proudly says, well, I'm not going to get involved in all that race for the win. I'm, I, I don't need to be the best. I will leave all the toil to other people and fold my hands, which means I'm not going to toil, I'm not going to work. And then all I'll have to eat is myself. Laziness is the opposite of what we see in verse 4. It's the total absence of any kind of ambition for anything. And what he's saying is that's not the solution. That's self-destructive. Because you're going to waste your life just in a different way than the one who is envious. It's contentment. That is the key for us to live in a better way in this world. Verse 6, better is a handful, one handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So the picture of the envious in verse 4 is two hands full, trying to, to, to cram into his life all that he can get. Verse 6 is the... the the, the person who is happy, who is quiet, the text says, who is content with just one hand, full. That's better because if one hand is full, the other hand is free. It's free to serve others. Contentment is. Better than competition. Contentment is the opposite of competition. You you know this saying, comparison will kill your contentment. You comparing what you have to other people, it's it's what kills what we see in verse 6. But listen to the other side. If you have an attitude toward others that I don't have to beat you, then you will be in a good position to actually serve them. If you no longer see them as competition, you can actually start caring for them, which is what God created us to do with one another. Listen. You will not serve anyone who you believe is a threat. If you see other people as an obstacle to your happiness and them being happy just messes with you being happy and what they get messes with you having happiness, they are a threat to you and you will never serve them the way God calls you to. The second human was made to help the first. Humanity was made with this common goal where this shared dignity together, where we were communing together under God. But every person whose favor bothers you is a person that you are actually demanding something from. You you need to take something from them. If there's something, if, if there's someone, if they don't do X for me or Y for me or Z for me, if they don't do that for me, then you're taking from them. Do you see that? You're needing something from them. That is an against kind of perspective that God does not have for us. He calls us to give, not to take. I want you to understand photosynthesis under the sun. The way that photosynthesis works under the sun is, under the sun, taking is what is flourishing. The attitude of taking from others, being against others. But God, you need to see, giving is the essence of how He wants us to relate to others. And so He says just how wrong the neighborhood is. By saying they're against one another. The worst neighbors live under the sun. The preacher's goading us and saying not only is contentment better than competition, but but next he's going to say that being together is better than being alone. So point number two is is another observation from the preacher. He said, what I've seen under the sun is they are without neighbor. Verses 7 through 16. They are without neighbor. Neighbor. Neighboring, loving, and giving to one another is lost in that we live without one another. just notice in these verses, in 7 through, especially verse 12, the, the key words and how many times the word two is mentioned versus one. How many times it says without another? How many times it says alone? The preacher is saying two is better than one, and he gives us three examples of that. First of all, verses 7 and 8, he says family is better than money. Family is more important than money. I don't think I have to spend long on this. You know the story of the dad who's burning the midnight oil all in the name of giving a better life to his children than, than he received or Whatever. And you know and you know his children. Because they want his time more than his toys. We were made to be together. We were made even to toil together. And this one in verses 7 and 8 d- toils by himself. He doesn't have another. He doesn't have a, a son or a brother. We were made to serve one another. Yes, sacrifice for one another. But not sacrifice one another. And that's what this picture is. This man who has sacrificed people for possessions and achievements. And here in this example, anyway, understand the sadness of being alone. He's not sad, he should be sad. And so this condition of being without others in this situation and in life is sometimes by choice. That is what happens when that against perspective of uh, verse 4, that against perspective really sets into all of life and you start to view people as if they're going to slow you down to what you need to do. I can be better alone. I can't trust them to help me. I can do this better alone. Beloved, hear the word of God. He is not holding this out as something that is good. You are toiling for nothing. If you are toiling for no one. If your life's work does not result in relationships with people God made, being rich and being enriched, then, according to Ecclesiastes, you're living a God-denying life. You know, it's easy for us to say... From this text, I'm going to really focus on my family. And you should. But you also don't need God and his truth to focus on family. That's natural for most of us. This is not just about family relationships. That's clear in the next passage, verses 9 through 12, where he says two are better than one, and he makes the point that we're better together. Now, the first time I heard verse 12 taught a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This won't surprise you when I heard this the first time. It was in premarital counseling. You, you know without me having to preach who the third strand refers to in a marriage. It's a child. Well, it may not be a child, but it is more likely a child than a reference to God. Notice what this passage is about. It is not explicitly about how we need to have God in our life. This is about our relationships with other people. Verse 12 is about human relationships with this passage says fellows. It's not even necessarily about the people in your family. The point that's being made with that phrase that we can apply to marriage, yes. But that is not what it's about, bringing God into our marriage. That's not what it's about. You can make that point in other passages, but not in this passage. This passage is making the point, if two are better than one, then the buddy system is best. What what more advantages do you get if you get more people together who are helping you and serving you and who you're helping and serving? The people of Israel, whenever they heard this sermon series in Ecclesiastes, every year it was at the Feast of Tabernacles. When they gathered together at the Feast of Tabernacles to celebrate the harvest, Ecclesiastes was focused on that week. Verses 9 through 12, in their ears, this is what they would have heard. They would have heard, yeah, you know what? That is true. We had a good crop this year. We did. I, I know I was tempted at times during the year to, to say, I'm doing this all alone. You guys aren't helping me enough, but I know that we're gathered together and hearing this word we did this together. And we made it up Mount Jerusalem. We did that together. We, we kept each other safe at night. Remember that? How, how the robbers, they were threatening us up, up the mountain and, and, and how it was cold at night. And we, were, we were keeping each other warm. That's what they would have heard. The question for you and me Is do you believe? Do you believe? And does your life show that you believe that we are better together? Do not allow this without perspective that's true of people who deny God. Don't let social distancing persuade you. It's okay to neglect others. That God is okay in this season anyway for you to be without others. And you'll be just fine. Not true. But then he makes this point a third way in verses 13 through 16 where he says correction is better than control. Correction with the help of others is better than control all by yourself. And so he presents to us a king who used to be wise when he was young. And, and, and notice the difference between the king when he's young and old. It's, it's that when he was young, he was not without. He could take correction. But then the king gets older and he will no longer... And, and, and the word advice in some translations is correction or warning. He will no longer listen to anyone speak against him. I want you to understand... What God says we need is the last thing we want. You're a fool if you will not endure listening to someone else correct you. Let me give you just one passage, Proverbs 5. Solomon there is speaking to all of the people of Israel and he says, Woe to the one who hated discipline, who despised being corrected, Who has as a testimony, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am about to be ruined in the presence of all God's people. But then he also highlights at the end of our passage the tragedy of being without others. And he illustrates that in verse 16. When all the people who benefited from that king, whenever that king was wise and whenever he was leading well, notice at the end of verse 16, another thing that is vain in this world is that they do not honor him, though he served them. And so he does make this point for leaders especially. If you are a leader and serving faithfully, and you expect to be thanked for your service, it's like trying to capture the wind. That's just as likely to happen. The worst neighbors live under the sun. And what, what this, I think, is telling those who do not know Christ, who, who, whose whole perspective is only under the sun, you need to know that after this life ends, this, 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 this uh, experience of being against others and without others, that will then come to its fullness in hell. If you don't know Christ and love Christ, after this life, you will lose all of God's presence to bless you and every glimmer of hope. And you will have him. Hell is not the absence of God. It's the absence of his blessing. It is the presence of God in anger. You will have him and no one will be there to comfort you and misery that you earned ignoring God, you will receive forever and ever. That will be the destiny for everyone who does not know Jesus. And what that means is, Jesus came for the purpose of answering our passage in being against neighbor and without neighbor. Jesus Christ solves the sorrows of sinful neighboring. Just consider with me for a moment how Jesus, the Son of God, became a neighbor who left the distance and drew near and took on our experience so that He might then earn the right to deal with what is at the root of us? An ignoring God that shows itself and neglecting people. And he lived without. At least in the sense of he, he showed honor to everyone. He was a good king to everyone. He served everyone. But envy. Envy drove his brothers. The people of Israel. And then, and then Envy. The nation of Rome drove them against Him. He was without. He did not enjoy neighbor love. And He died alone. And He did this all on purpose because He knew that He alone qualified to pay for all the ways we've neglected neighbor because we ignore God. And so the text tells us Jesus, having loved His own, loved them to the end. When He died on a cross, He shed His blood and His blood cried out a better word than the blood of Abel. God said to Cain, your brother Abel's blood is crying out to me to avenge you. To exact vengeance upon you for murdering him. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, whenever he was bleeding, because his brothers were killing him, was crying out to his father, forgive them. No matter what you've done or what I've done, this is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus' blood cries out to God, forgive them, even if they murdered their own brother. We can be forgiven of anything and everything because the Father said yes to Jesus and raised Him from the dead to save. And isn't it amazing what Jesus does in salvation? He supplies us everything we were lacking in Solomon's day. He raises up and saves people who will become good neighbors, who will comfort and be companions, and who will even correct when we need it out of love. So church, listen to me. How, how do we live out Ecclesiastes 4, 4-16, through 16, the way God wants us to in Christ? It is first by understanding... That the worst neighbors live under the sun. You better not be living your life with an under the sun kind of perspective. He's calling you and me to love our neighbors. Which requires us to fill our hearts with the truth of God. And God is telling us that Jesus, His Son, redeems relationships. That's what He really does. That is evidence of our salvation. That He is our Savior is this. That we become covenant neighbors. One reason... In our series that we're told it's wrong to live our lives without regard for God, is this, if you do that, you will sin against God by neglecting and harming the people He's called you and me to love. When Jesus redeems relationships, He makes us not just neighbors, but now, under the blood of the covenant, we become covenant neighbors. I was reading this week one of the Chronicles of Narnia. And when Aslan, the Christ figure, is creating Narnia, he gives the first command, which is love. He says, "Love, think, talk, know. But the first is love. Before you think, before you talk, before you know, you should love." And what did we hear from first Peter? When Christ? Causes us to be born again, what happens? He purifies our hearts so that we would sincerely love our brothers. This is Christ's first word to us. The faithless make horrible neighbors. You and I will either live under the sun or we will alternatively believe God. And God says, You need others. You will not have the encouragement you need if you neglect to gather, it says in Hebrews 10 and others encourage you to love in good deeds. It's for perseverance that you need each other. Or consider 2 Corinthians 1. The father of all mercies comforts those in every affliction through those who know Christ. You need comfort, you need others. You need correction, Galatians 6:1 and 2. Anyone who's caught in any transgression should have other brothers and sisters who will who are spiritual, walking in the spirit, who will restore them. You need correction, God tells you. You need truth. You need to grow up and become like Christ in every way, so Ephesians 4:15 and 16 says, that happens when Christ gives you a church who will speak to you in love. Do you believe God or will you live under the sun and understand this? No one accomplishes this on social media. I don't care how much everyone uses social media. This is not done online. Your friends on social media are not really your friends. They may be your friends, but not because of what you do on social media. The problem with social media is its convenience. It's when you have time. When you will overcome your envy. It's when you feel like it. Listen. Jesus does not make people, does not save people, to then treat people the way that they should when it's convenient. I'm going to put before you the words convenient and covenant. If it's just when you want and who you want whenever you feel like it, that's not Christian. He wants us to covenant with people, to have people we're committed to, brothers and sisters in a church, who will, when, according to our text, when they get what you want, you still serve them. You don't envy them. It's when they need something that you've worked for, you've got it, you can give it, and you decide, even though they didn't work for it, I'm going to give it. That's covenant. It's when they, you serve them faithfully and they're not honoring you, and you still, in covenant, not when it's convenient, not because they're inconvenient, you withhold something from them, but instead you bless them. That's what Jesus does. That's the difference between Solomon's world and ours if we're in Christ. But you will not believe that or you will not do this if you don't first believe that God's perspective is we is more important than me. You've got to stop living this way. And let me tell you, COVID-19 works well in this photosynthesis under the sun. What, what is bred here in isolation is suspicion of others. It makes you suspicious of others. Now, why do they say that? And why do they put it that way? And did they mean this? That's why there's so many pastors talking about disunity and division and people getting so offended. Because we're, the convenience is taken away. We're not seeing each other as much and we're not overcoming the inconvenience of it. And we're just letting the suspicion grow. Beloved, hear the word of God. Covenant neighbors love when it is inconvenience. That is what separates us from those under the sun. This is God's word to us right now. Isn't it amazing that God gives us this word right now when the COVID numbers are high, higher than they've been in Graham and, and, and when it makes the most sense logically, we'll find the most support To being separated from one another. And yet he puts this in front of us. Now, let me say this. Everyone has their own individual thing, right? Everyone has their own individual health status. They they, they deal with people who are different, who have a different health status. Everyone's got to, there needs to be lots of room for grace. in people making their decisions about how they're going to go about in this season. But we need to let God's word inform us here. Don't you know? In God's wisdom, when He causes us to gather together every Sunday and we, we choose to gather on Wednesday night, have you noticed, I've noticed this, how much easier it was to be covenant neighbors when there's the expectation that we're going to be together. It has become really hard as a pastor to live out my duties as a pastor when I'm not seeing people, and when some people don't want to be found. But I have to do it. And you are called by Christ and made by Christ to neighbor in a covenant way, not in a convenient way. And this world just got really inconvenient for that. What will you do if gathering is not an option for you? Then you still are called to do it. You've got to pick up your phone. You've got to text. You, you should insist on guarding midweek manna. It's on Zoom. You think anyone hates Zoom more than me? I hate it. We've got to pray for one another. This is a convenient way. This facilitates us getting to know one another. And Christ has made me to do this. I need to care for them. Yes, it's inconvenient, but I can't just not do it. So when you consider... Be engaged as much as you absolutely possibly can. Don't delay. Don't delay gathering one moment longer than is absolutely necessary. Think about it. Believe what God has said. You consider. Don't be proud. Don't act like that king who won't take instruction, who won't take advice. You consider what God says about how you need other people. Consider the cost to you. But the passage is not mainly about the cost to you. It is about how God made people who are concerned with we more than they are concerned with me. So maybe one good kind of final question to consider what it means to be a covenant neighbor who loves when it's inconvenient. I want you to really ask this question of yourself. If every person in my church was as connected to the church as I am, prioritized hearing the word as much as I do, prays for the individuals in my church and for the whole church as much as I do, reaches out to know what's going on in someone's life to the same degree as I do. If every person in your church did it to that degree, is that a church you would want to belong to? The worst neighbors live under the sun, but Christ has saved us from ourselves. And he has made us like himself so that we lay down our lives when it's inconvenient for the good of others and the glory of God. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take this word and you would make it make a difference in our lives. Oh God, we pray that because Christ has promised, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you that that would fill our hand with contentment and free our other hand for covenant. To lay down our lives for the good of other people. Oh, God, each of us has different considerations, Lord. It's not that everyone should do the same thing. But we pray, God, that you would make us people who live according to your word and in the power of Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen.